you know, up, up to fairly recently when I heard missions or missionary, uh, you know, the image that came to my mind was something international or, you know, out of state, uh, usually to a, a group of poor people or a poor area in a strange culture, right? This is, this is the image of missions that we have in our mind. And actually, I went on a few mission trips when I was like in high school and college and, um, you know, the kind of just like for several days, it's usually like 50% tourism, 40% work, and you know, maybe 10% actually talking to somebody about Jesus. Um, you know, those kind of mission trips. And then usually they'd be accompanied by some kind of testimonial. When you get back home, you share with the church, where did you go? What did you do? What did you learn? And inevitably, there would be kind of a running theme of, well, I just learned how blessed I am that these people have so little and they know so little and thank God I'm not poor like that. You know, I mean, that's usually like the running theme that, that, that we hear about, like how could they live on so, so little, especially if it's in like a third world country or something like that. But this is a really limited and mostly ineffective view of missions. It's also a very compartmentalized view of missions, right? Um, we do missions when we are somewhere else. We do missions when we are with people who are unlike us. Um, and, and I think it kind of betrays a big problem that the American church has with missions and evangelism. Uh, another sign of this is the fact that we have books, literal classes on how to evangelize, conferences on how to evangelize, right? Like it, we... We want the silver bullet. We can't conceive of the fact that wherever we go, what we are doing, part of our life, Christ moving through us, to whoever we're with is missions. We want, we want the conversion. We want the, the heart change. We want the, 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 the pithy little phrases that, you know, if, if you died right now, where would you go, heaven or hell? And that really gets somebody loving Jesus. Um, you know, like, we, we have a problem with, with missions that we need to address certainly is Acts Church Kyle because one of our goals for the year is to send out five missionary individuals or households to their immediate contexts, right? To represent not just Acts Kyle, first and foremost, Christ to their neighbors, right? So if you're thinking that, that I mean, that could be you without you even knowing it yet, maybe. Maybe you do know it. Maybe you don't. But if your idea is, well, that is like, you know, an hour on a Friday afternoon walking up and down my sidewalk with, a, you know, waving a Bible or knocking on doors, like, you know, we need to talk about missions, okay? We need to talk about what a missionary is. Um, and Jesus teaches us what it is. What is a missionary? What does a missionary do? Um, how can we be missionaries? Unless you think like, okay, well, that's for the missionaries. That's for the outgoing. This is not for me. Let me tell you, every Christian who bears Christ in their hearts also bears his mission. Okay, what Jesus does and what he wants to do is inseparable from who he is. And if he is in us, so is his mission. If he is in us, so is his call. So is his command, go and make disciples. It's all in the same package, in dwelling in us. So this, uh, this series, Who Do You Say That I Am, is about that very question. 
Who is Jesus? Because who he is is reflected in his people. We manifest it. We carry him with us. So if Jesus is dwelling in you, so is his mission. So we're going to make this simple and general as possible. A missionary is someone who frees people in Christ. A missionary is someone who frees people in Christ. And we can dive into that a little bit. But where Jesus is, there is freedom. The work of a missionary is to free people. Okay? So let's talk about that. Um, what that means to free people first, a missionary frees people spiritually. Okay? A missionary frees people spiritually. And this is usually what we think of when we think missions and sharing the gospel. And it's, it's conversion. It's heart change. It's switching someone's posture before God because they receive a new identity in Christ. Right? So it's a posture of, of humility and dependence on God. Um, but let's, let's expand that. Because usually I, I think that gets limited to um, I have a relationship with Jesus when I share the gospel, I want that person to have a relationship with Jesus. But missions, this, this freeing people spiritually, goes way beyond the one-on-one. Me and Jesus, me and God. You and Jesus, you and God. Let's, let's expand that to, to what, is, what is truly happening, not just on an individual level, but as a church, as a city, as a global people of God. When someone's heart is transformed, when their spirit is overthrown by the gospel and grace and Christ, that is Christ defeating hell in our midst, before our very eyes. We see it, we hear it, we, we connect with it, we have a role in it. That Christ is overthrowing sin and death and the devil and shame and all of it that that person will never again be subject to those things. That this world will never again be subject to those things. And we get a part in that. Missions free us from spiritual oppression. But, let's keep going. Missions also free us physically. Missions free us spiritually, and missions free us physically. And this is where, uh, you know, we, we, we might stop a little short sometimes, or at least might not think of it right away. But when we read our story, you had Jesus coming into Peter's mother-in-law's house and curing her of her fever, relieving her physical distress. Uh, and that is part of what he came to do, right? He came from heaven to spread the kingdom of God, to spread the word of God. But here he is in Peter's mother-in-law's house, healing her, healing the people that come to him, exercising their demons in their body. If it was just about the Spirit, wouldn't he just either let them die or deliver them directly to God himself? But God created in the physical. He didn't create in the spiritual. He created in the physical. Christ came to the physical. He didn't phone it in. He didn't just change hearts from heaven and make it all about the Spirit and the ethereal and the philosophical. He took on flesh to be the bridge between the spiritual and the physical, right? So we may not be able to heal at will, right? And, and there's various theories on that and various reasons for that. And we, that's a discussion for another time. But we may not, I, 
you know, I can't say to my toddler, fever, be gone, and, you know, get up and play, and, you know, do, like, I, I don't have that gift. It's certainly not at will, but we can give healing. We may not be able to heal, but we can give healing. And what that means is the gospel has tangible results, okay? When, when God transforms the heart, it also comes with a transformation of activity in the body, an expression of, of the change that's occurred in the heart. Historically, the church has been responsible for instituting schools and hospitals and orphanages and universities. All of those things were begun by the church. The church serves, uh, serves the poor and gives food to the hungry and clothes the naked. The church is invested physically in works of mission. And this is why we have partnered with Hemp Hill to give gifts to a family in need at Christmas and why we're doing it now with this backpack drive. Um, it, it's not just to make converts of people who love Jesus. Yes, ultimately, our goal is to have people get in a relationship with Jesus. But James himself says, if, if you say to a person, be warm and fed and send them off without actually giving them warmth and food, what good is it? So we contribute to people's physical well-being knowing that Christ has united the two realms. Which brings us to, to the next way that, um, that a missionary frees people spiritually, physically, and a missionary frees people to follow Jesus. And it kind of sounds like an oxymoron, right? Free someone to be linked to something. Like, it sounds like an oxymoron. But I, I think that's because we've, we've kind of morphed and manipulated this idea of Christian freedom. We, we say we're a Christian nation, but throughout our history, freedom has been more associated with autonomy. We're truly free when we can say what we want, do what we want, think what we want, go where we want without consequence. If someone says, don't do that, don't go there, don't say that, we say, you're impinging on my freedom. And that's never what it's meant in Scripture for the Christian, right? So as a world, the world can define freedom however it wants. As Christians, Christ has defined freedom in very specific ways. Paul uses the term in chains to describe his life in Christ. He also says, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. Now initially that doesn't really sound like freedom. And yet Christ also doesn't force us to follow him, to serve him, to do what he wants us to do. Uh, you read the story of Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. It says he healed her fever and she got up and began to serve them. And initially, you know, we, the, the alarm might go off. Ooh, that sounds really chauvinistic. Like Peter's mother-in-law, why don't you get up, be, be healed or whatever. We want some grilled cheese sandwiches. Go ahead and make us some. Go ahead and serve us. That's not what, that's not what happened. It says Christ healed her, and she served. Her service was a response to his grace. Her work for him, in honor of him, was a response to his work in her life. So Christ is not just freeing her physically. 
He's freeing her to be the matriarch in her household, to maintain the honor of the matriarch, to maintain the honor of her community, because there was a certain level of dishonor if you were not able to hospitably serve your guests under your own roof, specifically for the matriarch in the house, but also for, also for the father as well, also for the patriarch. So Christ invites us to follow him by first instituting his grace. Um, and this is why we do what we do. As, as a church, this is why we plant churches. It's to invite people into that kind of relationship. It's to communicate the grace of God physically and spiritually and to invite into a relationship. It's not just you're freed, go on your way, do whatever you're going to do. We free people to follow Jesus because they're the same as with this woman in her own house. There is a huge privilege and honor that comes with being able to serve the Son of God. It is a freeing experience. Not always easy, but free. And this is why we send missionary families. Why we send missionary individuals in their own lives. It's, it's, re, it's, it's not going and doing something different. It's recognizing what God puts in front of us and saying, yes, I will represent him here. It's so people know Jesus. It's to free people from their sin and shame and fear and death so that they are free to follow Christ. It's opening up a new world. Now, it's, it's almost audible. I can, I can hear it rattling. Well, that's, that's not my gift. I don't know what to say. I don't know anybody who's not a Christian. Or if you're really honest with yourself, I'm just too scared and I'm not going to do it. So how do we, the, the question we've already established is not, am I a missionary? We've already established, if Christ dwells in us, so does his mission. We are missionaries in Christ. The question is, are we obedient missionaries or are we disobeying his mission in us? So the question is not, am I a missionary? The question is, how can I serve God as his missionary? How? And again, we're not, we're not looking for any silver bullets here, but true to form, we'll, you know, I'll, I'll, do the, I'll do the three points thing and just, you know, this is what, this is what I see going on in this, in this story. The first, one is, the first one is kind of indirect in the story because you see Jesus being a missionary and we, do, we can't be a missionary like Christ, Okay. Christ's way of ministering to the needs of the world is by dying on the cross, rising and forgiving their sins, okay? We don't do that. We can't do that. So our job as missionaries is not to be Christ, but to uh, represent him in our lives and to point people to Christ, okay? Uh, so is anyone familiar with the game Sharks and Minnows? You know, so you, you, have, you have minnows, a group of people on one wall, you have one shark, and they run across, I wanted to do it, but this room is too small and there's too much stuff in here. But, um, so you have a group of people, one shark over here, and as people run across, the shark's job is to tag as many people as they can. And then those people, they got tagged, become sharks. Okay, you do it again. Another wave runs across. And then all those people that got tagged become quote-unquote sharks. Uh, this is almost how Luther describes the Christian life. He calls us mini-Christs. When Christ, uh, so to speak, tags you, you become his representative. You do his work. But it's different in that 
we can't do things exactly as he did. If we go to people with the understanding, even if we don't say it out loud, but if we understand them as, oh my gosh, those poor souls who don't know Jesus, those poor souls who aren't like me or go to church like me, I can't even imagine how, how bad their life must be. That, to me, sounds a lot like, God, thank you for not making me like that guy, right? And I think there's a story about that in Scripture, right? It's called a Pharisee. Thank God you didn't make me like that sinner over there. But the fact is, every time we come to people with Christ, we come to them as people who need Christ just like they do. Every day, every second, every minute. The only difference between us is that we know it and they don't yet. That's the difference. The need does not change. The state before God does not change in that we are still sinners. We just have submitted to this grace that covers us. Christ died for them just like he did for us. Okay? So we come in humility. That's the first thing. When we, how to be a missionary, we come in humility. Okay? Knowing that Christ covers us in his grace, that we, we have done nothing, that we are not better than anybody. So when we preach his word, we're just as much preaching it to ourselves, okay? So how do we engage in Jesus' mission? First, be humble. Second, count the cost, okay? Also biblical. But I think a lot of us either have never considered that being a Christian means that we're going to have to actually give something up or, you know, put in some effort, or we forget it all the time. <laughs> we forget it constantly. So Jesus starts healing people and exercising demons at sundown. Not just people, the whole town. This is Capernaum. He moved from Nazareth to the bigger city, to the big city of Capernaum so he can do more stuff. He says the whole town was at their door. So you know he's up late into the night, right? You know this is exhausting. Anytime you invest in people, it's going to be exhausting. He serves all their needs, but he needs to recharge, right? He's tired. He, in his, according to his human nature, this is a tired man. He stayed up all night healing people's needs. Um, so what, you know, he takes some time to himself. He sleeps late. He has an egg, half a grapefruit, eats right, has a little me time, you know, just puts everyone to the side. He says, don't, don't, just leave me alone for a little bit. I got to, no. What does he say? He knows they're coming back. He knows that more is going to be demanded of him. He knows his disciples are going to look for him. So instead of putting them back, he rises early enough to connect with God before anything else is required of him. While he's still tired, he doesn't say, I need to get in the right mindset so I can connect with God. No, it's just the opposite. I need to connect with God so I can get in the right mindset. Right? He's tired. And he wakes up early. So you know, like, there's going to be some physical demands, right? This missionary life is spiritual and physical. You know it's going to require things from us, okay? First, be humble. Second, count the cost. And a lot of it is just expectations. Expect to be busy. Expect to be tired. Expect to be exhausted from people making demands 
Because what they demand of you, they demand of Christ. Third, connect with God. Okay, we just talked about Jesus rising early to connect with God. If your question is, how can I be a better missionary? My first question to you is, how can you better connect with God? Not what can I say, not where can I go, not what's a phrase, what's something that you can give me, give me a strategy. How can I be a better missionary? How can I better connect with God? We talk about God from a deep knowledge of Him. Who He is, which comes from the Word. His work in our life, which also comes from the Word, but paying attention to what He's doing in our lives. Um, Because that's what a missionary is. A missionary is God's representative. But we can't represent what we don't know. And we can't give what we don't have. Right? So if, if, if we're not praying and we're not spending time in God's word, if we are not receiving God, what is, there to, what is there to give? We can give ourselves, we can give head knowledge, we can give impressions, but we give what we have. And if we have cut ourselves off from God, then he has to work in spite of us and we're not working with him anymore. Um. You know, I think we can get very intimidated. We think, well, I've got to spend time in God's Word and draw out all these mind-blowing conclusions that I can share with people, and surely they'll be, they'll be converted. Um, that's why we want the silver bullet, right? Because we know praying and relating to God and, 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 and being in His Word and learning things from it, we know that takes time, and we know it takes effort. The same way with any relationship, right? Um, it's kind of like the couple who says, well, we need a better marriage. But all they do is read books on marriage and don't actually talk to each other, right? So if, if we say, I need to better represent God, let me read a book on it, go to a conference, go to a training, like, and we're not actually relating to him, if we're not actually connecting to him, then we're, we're ineffective. It's not a... It's not a huge secret. It's not this mind-blowing stuff that we have to do to convert people's hearts. Um, the, my sophomore year of college was when, that was when God grabbed me and started directing my steps toward being a pastor. Um, at that time, I didn't realize that he was preparing me uh, to be a pastor. Uh, I, was, I was selling Cutco knives. I was selling Cutco knives, and I'm not, I loved it. I loved, I loved that job because it didn't feel like a job. I loved those knives, right? I, I, got, I won a set of knives in a, in a sales competition. I used them all the time. So when I got to go to people's houses, I had fun cutting their pennies. I had fun slicing through a rope and saying, look at this stuff. This is awesome. This, I, I didn't feel like I was selling something. I, I, I felt like I was just sharing with them something that made my life better, right? It, it came from a place of joy. So, so let's not be so crass as to say, I need training on how to hawk Jesus to people, right? Give me enough time, I could convert any one of you to become members of our family. Because I love my family, right? I, I could talk about my wife, I can talk about my kids, I can say why. I, I, I can talk about it all day long because I'm immersed in it. And, and, and I have an overflowing joy for them. So... I can talk to people about them without it feeling like, oh, what am I going to say? What am I going to, what am I going to do? Am I going to, you know, is this going to be clever enough? What if they laugh in my face? I 
care. It is what it is. This is my family, right? So when we, when we talk about Jesus, there is no class that can make us love him. It takes time. It takes wrestling. Same way with any relationship. The other party might do something that we disagree with, that hurts our feelings, that we don't understand, that we're not expecting. And that, it feels like that kind of sets us back. But you come out on the other side of it, and you're stronger for it. You take, you have experiences together. You have joy together. You, you go through struggles, and you team together, right? All these ways grow a relationship. But we don't get 10 years into a marriage by going through premarital counseling, right? By taking a class on it. We do it by walking in it together, okay? And we can only talk about what we know. So it's natural, like, no, you're not going to be an expert the first time you try to talk to somebody about Jesus. It comes with experience. Um, But if we're going to give people what we have, what we have received from Jesus, then we have to seek him where he is found. He's found in his word. He's found here, the Lord's table, in the sacraments. He's found in this gathering, the body of Christ. He's found when we speak words of forgiveness to each other, when we, um, you know, get in fraternity and community with each other. Then our life becomes evangelism. And evangelism is not something that we try or something we do. It just, it, it is. This is life. Our life is evangelism because our life is his. All of it. Time, money, energy, relationships, all of it. All of it is his. And then something, something strange happens in the way you talk to people. And you don't start seeing, could they come to my church? I wonder how much they would give. I wonder what kind of talents they have. Would they, would they just be a seat filler? Would, maybe they would make it a worse experience. What if they're just too uptight? Something, something different happens. Um, when our life is Christ, when our life is evangelism, God gives my life to the people I meet. I am a gift to them. More importantly, Christ gives his life to the people I meet. 